What's going on, everybody? Welcome and welcome back. This is Real Reality Realness with Sean Ellis Rogers, the podcast where I, your host, Sean, dives deeper into reality television than most people watching feel is necessary and asks all the questions about what they don't want out. Today, we're diving into the real reality of Barry Pendleton. The recording artist and newest cast member of G-Status ATL Hustle joins me on the podcast today to give his last free interview. He reflects on the impact his mother interrupting his earlier career had on his trajectory. He speaks on the journey to the creation of his incredible album, 7411. I'm shocked and inspired by the determination he had to record while battling through cancer. He discusses the extent of his credentials as an artist, touches on his business acumen, breaks down his dynamics with his co-stars on G-Status, and embraces currently being in his love and hip-hop era. Locking while I clock in, because Barry and I are about to get into it. so much for being here welcome welcome thank you for having me of course anytime thank you for making some time i appreciate you taking my call absolutely i mean it's not a problem i make time for the people that you know genuinely want to get to know the things about me so i think this will be my first um and my last interview until the season has aired and wrapped. I'm not going to do any more interviews during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be my only interview before the season and after the season airs. If anybody wants to do an interview with me, they're going to have to book me. If they are not willing to pay my booking fee, then they will not be able to do an interview with me unless I'm really, really cool with you. Nice. <laughs> Once again, thank you for being here. No problem. So let's start off with the simple stuff. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Um, I've been very, very busy. Um, I have my beard collection that is going to be up on my website really soon. Um, It's being padded and put in the bottles as we speak. Um, Life is great. Family is great. Health is great. Again, business is going well. Personal life is going well. I'm not dating anybody. I'm not seeing anybody. Um, I took four years for myself to heal. Um, In the four years, they're coming to a close. So I'm good. I'm really, really good. That's amazing. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. When did you fall in love with reality TV? Um, I fell in love with reality TV, um, I think 2011, um, season one of Love and Hip Hop New York. Mmm, very nice. How do you feel Love and Hip Hop is going today versus um, back <laughs> in the day day? Um, they've changed a lot. The aesthetics, the platform has changed a lot. I think Mona is going for so more so towards a family-based show now because all of the cast members are cool. And every now and then she has to bring in, you know, an outsider to spice it up a little bit because I think she feels like people feel like that she's straight away from the old meaning. Um when Love and Hip Hop NY first came on, everybody wasn't cool, but everybody were, they were cordial. They could be amicable until some shit popped off. And when mm-hmm. it popped off, it popped off. So I feel like she's trying to get back to that, but I think she's having a hard time doing it. I can see that. How do you feel about half of the cast in New York now living in Atlanta? 
Um, I don't know how to deal with that. Um, because New, has New York hasn't even been back in what three, four years. They literally stopped. Like it felt like they stopped the season in the middle of an episode, and they just never came back. <laughs> they did. And I think that's why everybody ran to Atlanta. And I felt, I felt as though Mona felt like because the cast decided that they wanted to move to Atlanta, she just was going to do away with Love and Hip Hop and Why. And I don't feel like she should have did that. Yeah, because I don't, I don't understand anything going on with Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. It seems like Love and Hip Hop Miami is coming and going and nobody is noticing. And I don't know where the hell Love and Hip Hop Hollywood is. Oh, I, I said when the last season of Love and Hip Hop wrapped, I said that they were coming back. And the crazy thing is, the last season was when um, was when Mo, was that when Monique Monique um, left the show. Yep, her last season. Yeah, this one. This was the last season. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which shows are you watching right now? Um. I watched Chasing LA. Um, I'm cool. I'm cool with two of the cast members on Chasing. Three of the cast members on Chasing LA. Um, I'm watching Now the Shit We Do for Love. Um, I just tapped into Set It Off Atlanta. Um, I watched Zeus, of course. Um, <laughs> Real Housewives of Potomac. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Based uh, reality based, that's it. Nice. Very good selection. Is there now or was there a reality star that made you feel represented enough to consider doing reality TV for yourself? Oh my god. Um I have <laughs> I have three. Okay. <laughs> um Tammy Roman. Love. Chrissy Lambkin. Love. Evelyn Lozada. D- classics. All yeah. three classics. All three <laughs> classics. That gives me a that gives me a hint about what your aesthetic is on the show. I love that. I love that. Oh. Who introduced you to music? Um, well, I started singing when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. Um what got me to singing my mom was born in the early 60s okay so I didn't grow up off of like the rappers and all of that I grew up off of Michael Jackson Earth Wind and Fire Patti LaBelle Aretha Franklin Gladys Knight Maze Freak, uh, Frankie Beverly featuring Maze Luther mm. Vandross, Gerald Levert. I grew up all of those people. Jaheim, um, Charlie Wilson. I grew up all of, all of those people. So that's what got me into wanting to sing. Um, once I decided that I wanted to sing, my mom then went, put me in vocal classes, bought me a keyboard. I started writing. Um, I started singing in church at eight years old. By the time I was 12, I had signed to someone who's still one of my mentors today. Her name is um, Maximum. And she had a management company, well, she still has a management company called Maximum Exposure. So I got signed to her when I was 12. I released my first studio um, EP and it did really well back home. But because I was still in school and the music started taking over my life, my mom, reeled me back in so I stopped doing music I was still seeing talent shows plays and stuff like that but the recording part my mom wiped clean so I stopped recording so that's how I got into music talk to me about the first time you knew you were talented the first time I I knew that I was initially talented when I was asked by my pastor at the age of 10 to get up and sing a solo in front in front of the entire congregation. 
I knew then that I was talented. That. Now, you said that at one point your mom kind of cut you off from the professional side of music and, you know, just kind of let it be your hobby. Now that you're back in the mix of that, what convinced you and when that music was your path that you wanted to pursue professionally again? Um, I always knew music was a passion because I always knew that it was something that I wanted to do professionally. I just, when growing up, I used to tell my mom, that I was going to leave her and move to L.A. Mm. And she was like, well, I'm not coming to L.A. So we used to go back and forth about it because I knew that L.A. was the place I wanted to live. And um, unfortunately, my mom passed when I was 17. My condolences. Thank you. And then two months later, my dad followed. Mm. So I was just like, I'm not doing music no more. So I went to college. I graduated college. I have an associate's degree in business with a minor in science um i started my mom's best friend she had her own cleaning service at the time mm-hmm. she helped me start my own cleaning service so i became an entrepreneur really really early um long story short fast forward first relationship seven and a half years that ended two years later after that i ended up in another relationship and i decided that i did not want to be in alabama anymore so he and I decided that we were going to move to Florida. During our move to Florida, unpacking the U-Haul, I found my Bible that my dad had gave me. And I hadn't picked up the Bible. Honestly, I hadn't picked up the Bible since my mom passed. So I picked it up and I just opened it. And it was a letter that my mom had written. And I still have that same letter in that Bible. It was a letter my mom had written a month before she passed. She passed Mm -hmm. October 4th. She wrote the letter September 4th, 2004. Mm -hmm. And this was 2012 when I had moved to Florida. And the letter said, whatever you do, don't ever stop doing music. So in that moment, I jumped right back into it. That's, oh, that's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. Even though she pulled you back from it, she knew that it was what you were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Are you glad that she pulled you out of it for a little while so that you could have a sense of normalcy and like have that time to develop as a person before you jumped full throttle into music as your profession? In the beginning, I was in the beginning I was mad as hell because now I mean once I opened my Bible and I saw the letter, I got mad all over again because I felt like had you not stop me from doing it in the beginning, I probably be, would be rich by now. Right. But then I thought about it and I saw some of the stuff that people who started doing music at my age, I see where some of them are today drugs, strung out, or broke. So I was like, okay, I get it. And she wanted me to be able to live a normal life, go to school, have your friends, hang out, because in hindsight, had I continued to do music, I know where I would be today. I, I Like I said, I still talk to my manager. Well, she's my mentor now, but she was my manager when I was 12, 13, 14. And even she said, had your mom not done that, you would probably wouldn't have had a normal life. You probably would have went through some of the things that a lot of the people your age went through when they started doing music. So yeah. That makes sense. Talk to me about the album that you have out now. What's your creative process and what what do you want the fans to receive from this project? Um, Seven for Eleven. I started recording the album. <laughs> I started recording the album in 2013. Okay. As I said, I like I said when I opened my Bible, I jumped right back into the music. Um, I signed a deal with um, this company called Capella Entertainment. Okay. And I was signed with them for three years 
during that from 2013 to 2016, I was signed with them. During that three-year process, um, I was working on the album, and I had released the EP. They did everything they were supposed to do based around the EP. I did interviews. I did media. I even did a five-city tour. When it came to the album, I wanted to write some of my own music. Okay. So we made a deal. I would write four songs and I would have a co-writer on three of the songs. Still ended up being that way on the album. However, they didn't like the songs that I chose for the album. Again, which are the songs that are on the album? So they stopped backing me because I wasn't coming up off of the songs. They RCA'd you. I stopped being interviewed. I stopped being booked. I stopped having my my media interviews. I stopped having promo. Everything just stopped. So when I saw that everything stopped, I stopped. Stopped recording. Stopped answering phone calls. Stopped going to meetings. I packed up. I left Florida. And I moved to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I was I wanted a break. So I was in Kentucky for a year. Tried to go to school there. Didn't like it. Why Kentucky of all places? I wanted a place where one, nobody knew me. I didn't have any family. I didn't have any friends. And it was just peaceful and it was chill. Smart. I packed up and I left. So I was in Kentucky for about seven, eight months. And then I got on the phone with the guy that had signed me. He was, we're still friends. He's still my brother. And his name is Willie Liddell. We still talk until this day. And I told him, I said, I want out of the contract. And at the time, I had done this song, and it was a stripper club banger. If you stroll my Facebook, you have to stroll a long time. The song is still on my page. I think it got like 16K views. Nice. And I told him, I said, I want out of, my, I want out of the contract. He didn't even put up a fight. Mm. He said, he said, okay. I got out of my contract. I said, okay, so now I can start doing what I want to do. Mind you, I have maybe a hundred songs. Not songs, I take that back. A hundred instrumentals in my um in my backup on my phone. Mm-hmm. I have a whole catalog of beats and instrumentals for maybe five, six albums. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to do what I want to do. I went back to the drawing board. I left Kentucky October 23rd of 2016 and I moved to San Francisco, California. Once I got there, I linked up with this guy named Barn Casso who's a rapper he put me on to his producer I can't even remember his name but he owns a studio there called Wildlife Entertainment I started working with him and then he hooked me up with this guy in LA named Gabe who works with everybody when I say everybody Tupac who else Snoop Dogg Dr. Dre like he works with everybody and we developed a great relationship. So I started working on the album there. Packed up, left San Francisco, moved to LA. I was in LA, started doing the finished project uh, touches on the album. January of 2017, I walked into the doctor's office and found out I had cancer. So I had to stop recording all over again. 
So with the album, <clears throat> because I had to start recording, <clears throat> I picked back up 29, end of 2019, 2020. By the December of 2020, the album was complete with the set with the songs that I wanted, the interlude that I wanted, everything on the album was what I wanted. That's so, the post, so the album 7411 that was not the initial title the initial title of the album was supposed to be Hip Hop and Ballads because there are records on there with me singing there's records on there with me singing and rapping so it's supposed mm-hmm. to be titled Hip Hop and Ballads but because I was so determined to put the songs on the album that I wanted and I started in 2013, I named it 7411, and 7411 stands for Stability, Completion, Love. Mm. I love that. I love that. Do you feel like the journey to the completion of this album helped strengthen the quality of the work? I do. I do because I endured a lot. And when I went back into the studio to continue recording, and people don't even know this, people that are closest to me know this, I wasn't even supposed to be singing. I wasn't supposed to be doing any vocal work at all. Because the cancer affected me horribly. I didn't go through it once, I went through it twice. Wow. It took me years to finish this album. I was not supposed to be in the studio at all. I was performing and I was not supposed to be performing. And all of that, all of all of that, you will, it'll be explained on the show. I wasn't supposed to be doing anything and nobody knows that. Only the people closest to me knew that. So when it was done and it was mixed and it was mastered and I went back and I listened to it, I was honestly blown away. Because I did it, even against my doctor's orders, I did it. Mm. Truly a masterpiece. At this point in your career, how much of your music going forward is going to be for you and how much of it is going to be food for your fans? Um, It's always going to be for both of us because I don't want to do anything that is for the now. I want to always make music about things that I've been through. Because the things that I've been through, whether people have been through them personally, they may know somebody around them or know somebody that knows somebody that's went through the things that I've been through. So I don't want to make music for the now because music for the now gets old. I want to make music when people get older, they can say, well, they don't make music like this no more, baby. Some of the stuff we hear today, and this is no shade to any of the artists, because I'm still trying to step in the arena of where they are when I say that mainstream, big label budgets, sitting in the label heads, office at the tables. But I think anybody can say, you hear a song, and you're like, oh, this is a bop. You play it for a week, two, three weeks, you hear another song, it's, it's over with. You don't even think about the song you used for two, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But people, like even today, you could be listening to Glorilla, Cardi B, Drake, the moment that song goes off, Patty comes on, Luther comes on, you don't even switch the channel. Why? Because there's timeless music and that's your song. Period. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, have you ever, especially with you trying to step your foot into mainstream music, and I put that in air quotations, 
how often do you find yourself going between those two of making music that you know people are going to stream versus making music that is for your soul and from your heart or do you just try to adapt what's for your heart for the public I don't even think it's me trying to decipher the two because as I said if I if I write a song about something trust me I think it if I write a song about a club banger, trust me, I'm only going to write about what I did, what I saw, what the girls were doing, what the guys were doing. Why? Because I'm in it, I lived it, and I saw it. Okay. If I write a love song, and I have a couple of loves, trust me, <laughs> I've went through it. I wrote a song about each and every one of my exes. Shout out to them. And yes, I name dropped. Fart. <laughs> but the thing is, are they going to feel a certain type of way about the song? I'm sure they are because I told the absolute truth in the music. So I know that they're going to feel a certain type of way. Do I care? I don't. Mm. So, so if I write something, it's because I lived it. That's fair enough. What's the most powerful song or the most powerful line that you've written so far? Um, <laughs> I have a. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm supposed. I, I think I. I think I can speak about it. Um, I have a. I have a new single that um that I'm dropping. Um, and it's called "I Like It." Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm singing the background vocals but I'm rapping the forefront and I think one of the most powerful lines I've written I think this is one of the most powerful lines I've written because it's it's H it's H-A-T-E-R-S fuck y'all fake friends stank hoes bitch niggas and all y'all <laughs> love that love that care to elaborate on that line um, I, I have, okay, long story short, I have maybe 10 close friends. Okay. Five of which I grew up with elementary, high school, college. Five of which I made over the years. Now, with these so friends, balanced. I can tell them secrets. I've told them secrets. They know about my baby mama drama granted I've never had none publicly Work. they know about what all of the tattoos I have stand for they know about my health history they met my parents if they if they haven't met my parents they've seen pictures they've heard stories met my siblings all of that when we have a dis when we have a disagreement what they don't do they don't pastor it on the internet if we have disagreements they pick up the phone and they call me and vice versa I've had some people in recent years 2020 up until present that played like they were my friends I told them personal secrets the moment we had a falling out they took it to the internet and tried to bash me wow so that is where this single comes from Yes, it is a disc record. And they're going to feel it when it comes out. And I'm also doing a video to it as well. Listen, I make music too. We all have a disc record or two in our stash. Mm -hmm. We all got a couple. We all got a couple. Does anything else you do, like modeling or TV, compare to what music does for your soul? Or do those things just feed the beast that is your music career? Um modeling is something that I love. I love taking pictures. However, I don't like taking pictures until I have a haircut. <laughs> if, I <don't> have a <laughs> if I don't have a haircut, there will be no photo shoot. There will be no pictures. But modeling is something that I've always loved. <clears throat> Business, of course, I started that when I was young. All of the things that I do, it's things that I've always done. As I said, growing up, I did stage plays. I walked in runways. Like, I've always done that. So the things that I'm doing is things that I've always 
done. It's nothing new. I dig that. Do you feel like there's any one specific thing that you engage in that has a higher place in your heart or are they all just kind of like an equal balance of passion for you? They're all equal balance of passion, but if I had to choose, it would, of course, definitely be music. Love that. Talk to me about television for a second. Tell me about your journey to G-Status ATO Hustle and what was the casting process like for you? Okay, see, here's a secret. This is what people don't know because, you know, people love to say that I wanted to be a part of this quote-unquote web reality world. I want to be mm-hmm. I love KL. That's one of my closest friends to date. Shout out to KL. Um, um, before I decided that I wanted to tap into reality TV, I was already busy. I had already had a business. Mm-hmm. I had already been I had already been signed to two labels. I had already had music out. I had already done a five city tour. I had already done press, media, stage plays, walk runways, travel the world. I had already done that. So me wanting to do reality TV, it wasn't about me wanting to be seen because in 20, what, 2018, when I initially applied for G-Status, I had already had 30,000 followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I had I, I had already had a fan base. Me wanting to do reality TV was not because I wanted to be seen. It was because I wanted to bring people into my life. I wanted to showcase my life. The brother, the father, the son, the musician, the model, the entrepreneur. It was never because I wanted to be seen. I just wanted to build my brand more and I felt like reality TV is the perfect platform to do that. Instagram is good, but let's be honest, reality TV gives you a better gives you a better boost you have thousands sometimes even millions of people watching you so that's why I initially want to tap in to reality TV fun fact when I auditioned for G-Status season 2 I was actually here in Atlanta I had just walked away from a engagement Mm-hmm. I had just called I had just called off engagement and I auditioned and I got chose. And because I had just called off engagement, I wasn't in the correct headspace. So again, I decided to pack up and I went back to San Francisco because my initial reason for coming to Atlanta was because I was in a relationship. Okay. And when and when that then hand out I took my ass back to San Francisco so here I am today (laughs) back in Georgia and first of all the audition process was fun the first time the first time we did the um, in-person audition and the second time I think it was a virtual audition because you know COVID and all of that Right. and it was it was just like I was in person because I didn't switch nothing. Like the same way I acted in person with this, that I acted when I was in front of the fucking camera. And I felt like because I was already chosen for season two, this is my personal opinion. Of course, Kaya has never told me this. I just feel like because I was chosen for season two and I decided to go back to San Francisco, I feel like Kaya brought me onto season three because I was supposed to be on season two. Mm. so would you say you were kind of having like your Brooke Valentine love and hip hop era because that's what this whole story sounds like to me because if you remember Brooke Valentine was supposed to be on season one of love and hip hop Hollywood Mm -hmm. but she had a little situation and she couldn't be a part of the show she had stuff going on and then mm-hmm. she eventually came on in season four and she had already had the hits. We had already been out here girl fighting. We had already been out mm-hmm. here doing all the things of the things with with Brooke. We had the chain letter, right? 
And it was just more so about seeing another level of her, seeing the next level of her, seeing more of her outside of what you just saw in the music videos and all the things of the things. And it sounds like that's where you're kind of going with it, where it was like, it was less about me needing a platform. It was just more so about me giving the platform that I already had a new life. Right. Yeah. I said this to somebody. I think me, me and KL, we've had the conversation before, but I've never used the Brook terminology, but thinking about it, that's exactly what it was. You had your love and hip hop era. I love yeah. that for you. I absolutely love that for you. Now, I, oh, sorry, what? This, yeah, I think this is, I think, um, I think, I think after this season, I think a lot of people are going to see me differently. Mm-hmm. In a good way. Now, speaking of love and hip hop era, would you consider this like, your Brooke Valentine love and hip hop era, or would you consider this like your Trina love and hip hop era? Because I think I, those are two completely different things. I think this is going to be my Trina slash Tammy era. What? Mm. Oh, we love a Tammy era. Oh, <laughs> we love a Tammy era. I, I split it. Up, I split it up because we already knew who Trina was. She had already popped. She had already sold five million records but when she got on Love and Hip Hop baby it was like Trina started popping all over again mm-hmm. like Trina, Trina is everywhere now so I feel like in the music aspect I feel like people are going to be want to work with me all over again because what people don't know I've opened for like Jennings I've been in the studio session with K. Michelle that's what people don't know. I never said that on the show. I, I, the Life Jennings thing, I said on the show. The K. Michelle thing, I never said. People don't know that. And I have, Come on I have, I have a human receipt. My my brother, who I was signed to, Willie Liddell, he can attest to that because he actually got me the studio session with K. Michelle. That's what people don't know. We love that. We love, we love just dropping a random receipt for the fuck of it. I love that for you. Thank you for that, Jim, for the so, show. So when I say I feel like my music is going to catapult, I feel like the platform is definitely going to help in that aspect. And then the the, the Tammy thing, you know, <laughs> you know, I had to give a couple of disclaimers. Uh-oh. Let's <laughs> <laughs> let a couple people know. So yeah, I'm excited. I know what that means. We're gonna leave that right where it's <laughs> I get exactly what you mean, and I guarantee you, my listeners know exactly what you mean. <laughs> well, we'll all be tuned in now. <laughs> How much of your cast are friends versus how much of your cast is co-workers? Okay. Friends, you have me, Jay Dior, Black, Tater Great, Chance, Win Twins. Okay. We're all we're all legitimately friends. Everybody else around us are just our co-workers. Okay. Which dynamic do you prefer? Do you prefer actually making real relationships with the people who you're filming a television show with and like building this platform with? Or would you rather just come in, clock in, do your job and go on to the house? The people I've created the friendship with, I'm happy about. Initially, I came onto this platform with an open mind, wanting to get to know everybody for who they were. Did I think that I was going to create the friendships that I did? I did not. Um, Chance and I were already friends. Okay. Uh, that's my brother. I, I already knew him. We, we were already talking on the phone all the time. Me and Kay were already cool. Of course, that's. Kale is what I consider my boss, but he's still my friend. We were already cool because, again, I auditioned in 2018. Right. But I did not come onto this platform, honestly, to make friends. Mm-hmm. 
am I grateful for the friends that I made? Absolutely. They're genuine people. Um, they they call me on my shit when they feel like I fucked up. So I'm happy for the relationship that I that I've created. Everybody else, I honestly all shade. I don't give a fuck about the rest of the cast. I don't. Team. <laughs> so, knowing the story of why you came on, what you're bringing to the show, all of this, and going through the entire process and looking back on it now, we know that the show hasn't aired yet. Y'all are coming to Tubi. Y'all are doing big things. Y'all are going to the streamers. Absolutely. Congratulations again. Do you think you've gotten what you wanted from reality TV at this point? And do you think that once the show airs, that'll change? Um, right now, I think I, right now, what I set to do filming the show, I did. Um, before I came onto the show, I set goals. And I did them. I said by the time I was done filming my first season, I wanted a manage a manager for my music. I have that. Word. I wanted to sign, I wanted to sign a modeling contract. I have that, and I Word. wanted to and I wanted to potentially have my own spinoff. I will be getting that work. Congratulations. So, so and I had the whole like I had the conversation with KL before we even started filming. These are the things I want to accomplish when the season has wrapped, and I did those three things. Now, when the show airs and people get to see me in a different light because people always, well, they haven't seen me rah-rah, but in the beginning, they would always see me rah-rah going off online because I, I feel like I always had to defend myself. So that's what they see. And then when I started going live on my page and with KL and with other people, they started seeing the softer side. So I feel like once, they, once the show airs and people actually get to see me they'll understand and get all of the backstory as to why he was acting like this okay okay once again we'll all be tuned in (laughs) what's been the hardest scene for you to film um without giving it away because you know the scene because the season hasn't aired yet um when I got me and all of my siblings in the room after at the time 17 years wow wow how many siblings do you have again I have on my mom's side I have three sisters one brother Oh, I can't wait to see it. Although I'm not ready because I'm not in a good place with my siblings. I'm the youngest of nine and I'm not in a good place with any of them. So I'm looking forward to that scene, but I am also not mentally prepared. I can understand why that was hard for you. I can totally understand why that was hard for you. Do you feel like, well, We'll watch and see, because I I don't want you to spoil how how that turns out. What's the one thing, if you could pick one thing out of all of the goals that you have for this season, what's the one thing you want the audience to take from your journey this coming season? Um, That I'm a fighter. Mm. And when that... When I say that, I don't want people to initially go to physical. Physically? However, <laughs> however, I can go there. But when I say I'm a fighter, quick rundown. I lost my parents when I was a child. I overcame that. I was shot. I was stabbed. I overcame that. I went through two rounds of lung cancer. I overcame that. Buried two kids. I overcame that. And I'm still here. (sighs) 
what does the show moving to Tubi mean to you as a cast member? Crazy thing is, <laughs> before we started filming, I told KL, I said, by the time the season wraps, you will be moving to a major platform. And when you talk to him, when you talk to him, you can ask him that. I told him that. So when he said it, I wasn't shocked because, and and I think they've learned this about me. My pastor has always called me a seer. Mm-hmm. I see things before they happen. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Now when it's good, I don't try to change the outcome. But when I know that something bad is going to happen, I do everything I can to try to change the outcome. Sometimes I make it work and sometimes I don't. So when K.O. said it, as I said, I had the conversation with him before we even started filming. I knew it was coming. So I wasn't shocked. Was I excited? Absolutely. Am I proud of K.O.? Absolutely. Because again, I knew it was coming. And I tell people all the time, God don't bless no mess. God don't bless the wicked. Hello? So, for him to be moving to Tubi after only his third season, and there are other weird reality shows that has way more seasons out than him, and they're still on YouTube, that says a lot about his work and his credibility. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. That's amazing. I'm proud of all of you guys. I'm so happy for y'all. That's incredible. How long do you see yourself doing reality TV? This show or just reality TV in general? Your 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 upcoming spinoff, all of those things. I don't think I'm going to I don't think I'm ever going to leave um KL because KL is one of the people who believed in me. Mm-hmm. KO, he saw the vision, he saw the talent. So I don't think I'm not, I don't think I'm going anywhere. I could move again, in which I do plan on moving, not anytime soon. And I feel like when I do move, I'm still going to have my just dudes on reality TV. Yeah. So when, comes, so when it comes to working with KL, I'm not going anywhere. We're already, he's already on Tubi. And the others are going to soon follow. Bravo, WeTV, probably Zeus. Like, it's going to be a lot of other people that are going to reach out to him. So I'm not going anywhere. Smart man. At this point in your career where you are now, what's your ultimate goal? And has it changed from the eight-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 12-year-old, the 14-year-old that you were when you were working towards your music all these years ago? The ultimate goal is to be solidified and wealthy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be rich. See, there's a difference. Being rich... A big difference. Being rich means you have a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. When you're wealthy, you have generational money. Mm. Kanye was a billionaire. Look what has happened to him. They have locked his accounts. Hello? That man said he lost $2 billion in 24 hours. I said, ooh. Exactly. He was, he, he was rich. So when I say I want to be wealthy, stocks, bonds, multiple properties, all of that. When I leave here, I want, I don't want my kids to ever to have to worry about anything. They don't worry about nothing now. But when I leave here, I don't want them to have to worry about anything. Right. Perfection. Do you have your village? My village? Um, I would have to say 
and this is going to sound shady, but I would have to say no. Okay. Because all of my siblings, if something happens to them, guess who gets their kids? Mm. Like all okay. of them. And one of my sisters is about to be married, but if something happens to her and her husband, I get my nephew. If something happens to my sister under me, I get her three kids. If something happens to my baby sister, I get her kids. So I think I am the village. <laughs> Hell. Okay. And how do you feel about that? Do you wish um, you had some help? Or or do you take pride in being the head of the totem pole, so, so to speak? I take pride in it. Because I've growing up, I've always been the the bougie stuck up brother. Mm-hmm. When I was 14, I told my mom she wasn't buying me nothing else. Because as kids, you know, your parents, they don't always get you what you want. They always get you what they feel you need. Mm-hmm. So my mom continued to get me what she felt I need. And I told her, the book stops here. I went out. I got me a job at McDonald's. I got me a job at Cracker Barrel. I was working two jobs <laughs> at 14 and going to school full time. You don't have to worry about me at all. You ain't got to worry about me. So I've always been the stuck of bougie one. And I think my siblings know they, they'll never admit this. I think they know because I've always lived a certain lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They know that if I were to ever get their kids, then their kids would live that certain lifestyle. Because my nieces and nephews are not spoiled at all. Right. So I think my siblings know that. I love that, child. They gonna spin their ass right on the Marlowe, and they spin their ass to Muncie Marlowe, Muncie Berry, child. Okay. I love that for you. No. <laughs> now, I get that you take pride in being the the um the um stuck up bougie one, and as you should, rightfully so. You've worked. Mm-hmm. You've you've paid the cost to be the boss. But how hard does it get? being the strong one? Um, it's hard sometimes because I go through things and I would literally wait months, sometimes years, before I even tell my siblings because I went through my entire round, my first round of cancer and I told absolutely nobody. I didn't tell them until it came back the second time. They cursed me out but it gets hard sometimes because I feel like everybody is just always when you're the strong one everybody always comes to you and then when you have to be the vulnerable one it's kind of like nobody really gets it or they care where it comes off that way yeah they care but they're not driving or catching a flight like you would do for them they care and they love you from a distance so it gets hard sometimes I relate to that I totally understand. When are you your most self? Um, I think I'm my most self all the time. I don't, I don't switch. I don't waver. Um, if it's something that I'm feeling, you're definitely going to know about it. If I offend you on purpose, I won't apologize. If I offend you indirectly, then I'll apologize. But I'm my most self all the time. Best way to be. My last question for you is how do you want to be remembered? Um, I wanted to be remembered as strong, resilient, driven, hardworking, loving, charismatic, romantic, handsome. as everybody would like to call me the gentle giant I want to be remembered for all of those things I don't ever I've done some things <laughs> no I don't want anybody to get up at my front door and say I remember that time he kicked that boy ass like baby please do not get up at my funeral and speak about how I whooped my life don't do that just speak about all the good stuff I like that. I like that. 
Barry, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time today. Thank you for having me. I had fun. I'm glad. I was hoping that I made you feel comfortable, that I asked fun questions instead of just, like, I'm not the messy podcaster. So, like, I really try to come and, like, do an inside the actor's studio type of interview. And it's Mm -hmm. less, you know, other people. But I'm glad you had fun. That was my goal. I did. And I I had a great time talking. I had an amazing time. Thank you so much. I hope to have you back. Thank you. You definitely will. Thank you so much. Now, before I let let you go to enjoy the rest of your evening, let the people know where they can find you, where to get 7411, when new music is dropping, where to go binge G-Status, and and tell them to go and get Tubi so they can get the new season when it comes out. You guys can follow me on Instagram. My main page is underscore the real Barry Pendleton. That's underscore T-H-E-R-E-A-L-B-E-R-R-Y-P-E-N-D-L-E-T-O-N. My fan page, Pendleton Barry. I deactivated my Twitter, so that is that is not up right now. Snapchat. Work. Snapchat, vocal enthusiasts. Facebook, Barry Pendleton. You can go and stream my album, 7411, on all streaming platforms. Download Tubi. Make sure you get G-Status, ATL Hustle. You can watch the first and second season right now on YouTube. But make sure you go and download Tubi because all three seasons will be on Tubi. Like, subscribe, comment, share from YouTube, G-Status, ATL Hustle. And that is it all right y'all heard him i ain't got nothing else to say honey on that note y'all go misbehave yourselves barry you enjoy the rest of your night and i will talk to you soon thank you thank you thank you again thank you again for having me of course talk soon love all right thanks bye All right, everybody, that was my conversation with Barry Pendleton from G-Status ATL Hustle with the new album, 7411. I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and I hope that you immediately go over to Barry's Instagram page from here, follow him, send him a bunch of green heart emojis and a lot of love, let him know that Sean Ellis Rogers sent you, and make sure that you stream his album, because I... I want all of you guys to hear all of the pain, the determination, the fight that he put into that work, into that body of work, into that album, into that creation. And I want to make sure that you guys understand the amount of determination and fight and artistry that goes into doing something like that. I'm incredibly inspired by his journey, his determination, his passion, his all out mission to create in the way that he knows that he is destined to create. You know, his journey has been super inspiring for me, especially as somebody who has had their own issues and struggles and battles getting to where they wanted to get to in their life. It's inspiring to see somebody who's gone through things I could never imagine and still fight through every single thing to get to where he needs to be and get to where he is in the moment. It really put a new battery in my back. It really charged the battery I had in my back and it really plugged in my generator to make sure that whatever it is I go through, no matter who tries to stand in my way, no matter what obstacles pop up, I'm always going to be over-prepared and over-determined to succeed. Because at the end of the day, Barry reminded me today that Nobody can stand in the way of your trajectory. Nobody can stand in the way of your greatness. Nobody can stand in the way of what's meant for you. And listening to Barry speak about his story truly reminded me of that and encouraged me in a way that I haven't felt in a long time. So 
I'm gonna take Barry's attitude on that and make sure that no matter what anybody tries to put in front of my way, no matter what obstacles come up in my way, I'm jumping over them bitches like Shikari Richardson and I'm finna take these motherfucking hoes out one by one. And I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about any and everything that tries to stand in my way from getting what's mine. Because I put in too much work, I fought too hard, I've been through too much, I'm too talented of a person and I'm too good of a person to let anybody or anything take away from my greatness. And I want every single one of you to walk into your life feeling the exact same way. Thank you, Barry, for inspiring me. Thank you, Barry, for giving me those, those words. And thank you, Barry, for sharing your story with me. On that note, I hope that you guys are subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you're at Real Reality Realness on Instagram and Sean Ellis Rogers on Instagram to keep up with me, this show, and everything else I have going on. I hope that you guys took an incredible amount of inspiration and learned a lot and you know, just look at the people you have around you differently when it comes to you never know what somebody's going through or what somebody's fighting through. And I hope that you take stock of all of the blessings that you have. So with that being said, I hope that you guys always be real, stay in reality, and always bring the realness. I am Sean Ellis Rogers. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, I love every single one of you from the bottom of my green heart emoji. See you later. Peace.